This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Uneducated economist here. So very special guest today. Normally, I don't do a whole lot of interviews, but we were able to get Keta from the Madison Lumber Price Report, if I got that right. Uh, Keta knows a lot about the lumber industry. So you guys think I knew a lot about lumber. You wait till you hear what Keta has to say. So Keta, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Oh, right on. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, you Tell do us a know little bit about yourself, Okay, sure. So uh, the newsletter is called Madison's Lumber Reporter. Uh, we're based in Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm the third owner. So it was started in 1952 by Peter Madison. And what we do is a market guide. It's a price list for the industry uh, of wholesaler lumber prices, softwood all across North America. So East, West, South, Canada, US, all the different commodities, the dimension, studs, you know, MSR, uh, plywood, OSB, uh, cedar, uh, all the different things that are uh, like the producer price, the sawmill price, uh, and the wholesaler price. So basically, the person at uh, your place, Simon, that does the buying, would be talking to the people who are uh, quoting the prices that we print. It's FOB sawmills, so it's not including any of the additional things like commission or duty or freight or all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, every Friday. So we do a market survey on Thursdays. I have an analyst who calls around to industry all across for all the different products and gets the um, uh, negotiated, you know, price that the industry has agreed on for that week. And then we uh, publish on Friday mornings. Uh, I have a dashboard with all of this data and a few uh, tricky things that it can do. Very fancy, very modern. And uh, my subscribers log in on Friday mornings and they see what the latest prices are. Nice. And so like Sue or some of the customers that, uh, that buy your report from you? Oh yeah, for sure. Like, Definitely industry, like the sawmills, right? So it's like we get the data from the producers, but uh, not everybody does everything. So if someone's a a stud mill in uh, uh, Oregon there or somebody in uh, New York State that does eastern spruce, that they want to know what's happening with western spruce. So they want to know what's happening with southern pine or some of the others. So um, the actual industry folks subscribe, and then it's like, universities, governments, agencies, um, the banks, uh, different analysts who write about lumber, like they talk about, you know, stock market and stuff like that. Uh, Builders, uh, contractors, like the end users, purchasers, retailers, that kind of thing. So the wide spectrum of anyone who needs to know on a regular basis, what's happening with lumber now, like that's the thing is that the price that we print is the current price. It's not like six weeks ago or some uh, pretend forecast or anything like that. That's it's on time data. 
Right. So like a lot of times when like even myself, when I'm reporting on futures prices, this is prices that are going to be taking place two months from now, not today. Right. So what you're reporting on is what is actually taking place today, which is not necessarily something that everybody has like a view of. You actually have to be able to compile this information, much like your analysts do, in order to come up with this report. So what you give out for information is quite unique. It's just like pretty much real-time data that you're trying to give out. And that's not something that everybody has access to. So Yeah, that's, exactly. Uh, pretty helpful stuff. Yeah, it's 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 like market price data, right? So futures is a hedge and a lot of the mills, like it said, you know, there's people speculating and sort of trying to make money. But um, a lot of the mills, for example, they will hold like 40 rail cars on futures that they'll, they don't take delivery. They don't very seldom. Usually they just roll it over into the next contract, right? So it's kind of like people use futures as a, as a hedge against uh, forward looking for what they expect is going to be happening with cash. And they could be as far as six quarters, right? Like right now where uh, the contract is for September 15th closing and then November, there's already a lot of the trades have moved into, they're looking at the January 15th contract, stuff like that, right? And then the uh, what we do, which is called print or cash, uh, there are other uh, services. I'm not the only one. There used to be five. When I started at Madison's in 2003, uh, then there was three. And now there's two <laughs> left. There's two left. Um, and so it is a niche. It is like a specialty um, information, but it's something that really, if you're deeply into forestry or building or anywhere in between manufacturing, this is something that, that people need to know. Right. And so like, even for like my store, cause you know, I work at a, I work at a retail lumber yard. I do retail sales for a living and we have a guy who checks prices and will adjust the prices to not only stay competitive, but to also, you know, be in the most profitable area on it. So when he's looking at prices, this is he's getting a report similar to what you are giving out there. Right. And in checking those prices and then accordingly adjusting the prices to whatever the cash price is that the mills are selling at at that point, if I explain that all correctly. So that's really where like your report comes in a lot better than to say following the futures price, because that not, may not be accurate to what has taken place right now. And that's where I really where the Madison Lumber Report, I just find this incredibly like informative. I mean, I love your YouTube channel. I really do. And I'm going to leave links down in the description for it, So everybody should definitely check it out. Um, but tell us like this year, this the last two years are so unique to the lumber industry. Tell us, what is it? what was lumber like prior to the pandemic? I mean, it was kind of a boring product, really. Nobody ever <laughs> talked about it. <laughs> I mean. um, that's hilarious because I was on the CBC, or I can't remember which, uh, and um, it was sort of like early in 2020 when things really just went so crazy. People didn't know. Like, it was because people didn't know. Like, what you're saying is the it's the information, right? And what uh, what happens with, let's say, for example, your buyer there at the retailer where you are, what we do is a guide. So the actual sell, selling price lists of each individual mill, it's going to vary, but it's not, it, they can't like sell for a hundred dollars more than what we're printing because we do this, um, you know, aggregating of all the different regions and stuff. And so the really cool thing about lumber is 
for most uses, like the by the far most use for North America lumber is U.S. home building. And these different products all meet the building code, eastern spruce, western spruce, southern pine, uh, Douglas fir. And so when someone is trying to make a purchase, they can look at the different uh, prices between each region, figure out for themselves what's their added cost on going to be with the freight or whatever, and make their purchases accordingly, like between which mills are offering or wholesalers are offering them a better deal at that time. And so early in 2020, when uh, things were getting so confusing, and one of the headlines of an interview that I did was, long a boring commodity, now lumber, something I can't remember what. Um, And so it's not boring to me, ever. (laughs) Every week is different. There's always something, forest fires, labor dispute, you know, trade issues, all these different things. But what you're asking for, um, let's use the previous like 14 years because it really was when everybody remembers how the U.S. housing all the problems with the speculation that happened like um, 03, 04, 05. And that sent uh, uh, actual home building in the U.S. far beyond what the population uh, was able to absorb. And then in 06, you know, all that, they call it the bubble burst. It was an actual bubble because it was speculation. It was investor buying of new properties and building homes. And it was people buying second and third homes Again, as speculation is at an effort to, you know, get to the top of this sales, uh, wherever the price is going to be without the one being left holding the bag. And so in September 2006, when that crashed, immediately lumber price crashed. It didn't wait a month. It didn't wait until 08. Lumber prices fell and kept falling from 2006 all the way through. And by 2008, it was like low price unchanging like changing by five dollars and that lasted for like 10 years so we had from 2006 to like 2017 very little movement in lumber prices because the response uh in the u.s housing market was the reverse where it became underbuilt and there was not enough construction activity so there just wasn't demand like there's not enough demand supply relatively speaking keeps going the same as it is because curtailing a sawmill is very expensive and it's a kind of a big deal because it's not just like, oh, I'm going to stop production for six weeks. You've got to stop your loggers, right? Getting timber out from the forest. That is a lot of the um, sawmills plan like six quarters in advance. That's why they look at housing and they look at futures and all that kind of stuff. How much timber am I going to need at my mill? And what's the price of the logs going to be? I don't know what's going to be in six months, but I'm sure hoping that housing doesn't crash right so so that's kind of what was going on for those 10 years and then at the end of 2019 um the housing market was recovering nicely and it was looking good so we all without covid and everything we knew that 2020 was going to be a good year but then it just went in spring it just really went crazy because of all the changes to society you know people working from home and all that and um we can talk about the past couple of years 
Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting over the last couple of years, because the, you know, the lumber prices, I mean, it just caught all this attention going from, you know, 500 per thousand up to 1700 per thousand. Everybody was just like focused in on lumber and screaming inflation and manipulation and all kinds of stuff. (laughs) But I saw it a little differently. I didn't see a lot of the manipulation, like the forced, uh, the forcing of prices up to the level that they were not in the sense that people were saying was done on purpose to try and damage people or charge more or something like that. I saw it a little bit differently. I saw the, you know, the bug infestation that was taking place in British Columbia area. And then once that was like that salvage mode had come to an end, the flow of material coming from that British Columbia area had really kind of stopped flowing in the same sense that it once did. And then that started causing a lot of mill curtailments up there in the British Columbia area during that time when they had that salvage mode come to an end. And I just saw that little situation taking place prior to the pandemic. And I was like, man, there's already kind of inventory issues and stuff that was already happening prior to the pandemic. And then obviously when the pandemic kicked in, they started shutting down more mills and stuff like that. Um, that was kind of like a brief way of like the way I saw it. What did you see happen? Did you feel that there was like a manipulation kind of scenario taking place? No, it's, it, it was really astonishing to me actually while that was happening and people were screaming that it's like collusion and stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. how dare the sawmills make money for the past 10 years and 12 years, they've been losing money or not making any money, no uh, reward to the shareholders, you know, no reward to the workers. And now this thing happens, which was a collision of circumstances and oh my goodness, we got to get the government involved because this is like, no, it's not a government. The government doesn't set lumber price. So in terms of the beetle kill and the reduction to the timber supply, we knew that was going to happen like already uh, quite some time ago because um, the like what you're talking about is the salvage mode. Uh, what that means is that uh, there's a duration of time between when the tree is infested and actually gets killed by the beetle that it still can be made into merchantable timber because it has it doesn't die like I mean it sort of starts dying immediately, but it's when it uh, is depleted of water and resin that it becomes you can't make lumber out of it anymore and then it's it's a, um, a fire hazard. So. In the area where the pine beetle infestation was the worst was the area where a lot of those uh, high volume super mills, as they call them here in BC, were built. And why did that happen? Because of the silviculture practices that we did in the 50s and the 80s. In the replanting, it was a monoculture. So they planted single species, same age. It was all, when you say SPF, that means spruce pine fir. And by far and away, the largest uh, within that basket is the lodgepole pine. In the same ways that when people say southern yellow pine, it's loblolly pine and longleaf pine. But by and large, it's loblolly pine because that's what was planted. And that's what the industry uses. And they all meet the building code. So it was estimated that 12 to 15 sawmills of these large sawmills would close. And they have. That's where we are right now. In the last five years, the, the last three of them, just the other day, a couple of weeks ago, West Fraser announced Fraser Lake. That's not going to reopen unless wow. it becomes, yeah, unless it becomes something else. Like it can become a um, LSL or LBL, like a veneer mill, because uh-huh. you can use, because for veneers and, and for plywood, you can use peeler logs. 
But for dimension lumber, you need the number two saw log, like you need the big round tree, right? So the, okay, so let's just, I'm just going to lay some numbers on you real quick. 50% of all lumber produced in Canada comes out of BC. 50%? Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know it was that much. I knew it was a lot, but that that was a lot more than I thought. Yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And then next is Quebec. Okay, and so uh, taking a further step back, uh, there is about one quarter to one third more lumber production out of the U.S. than there is out of Canada. Okay, Canada is, of course, an export, right, because we've got a lot of trees, but we don't have that many people. We have 10 percent. Canada is 10 percent of the U.S., 10 percent GDP, 10 percent population, 10 percent housing starts. So. We have way more trees and lumber than we can ever build. And then in the same way, the U.S. industry, even though it's bigger than the Canadian, is still not enough for the amount of people in the home building that goes on. So Canadian export of Canadian sale of lumber is 65 percent into the U.S. And it used to be like 85 percent, but we reduced that over the 20 years because we keep getting hammered by the duty. Okay, so 65 percent of. Canadian wood is sold into the U.S., 10% domestically in Canada, and about 6% goes to Japan. The, the wood that goes to Japan is premium, is number one, J-grade. It doesn't even get sold in North America. So it's a much higher value. And then across within North America, it's two and better, like your standard, right, for the housing. So there's a big play between economy, housing, timber supply, lumber manufacturing, dollar, exchange rate, Canada and the US. It's incredibly complicated. So like looking at it simply and being like, yeah, between 2006 and 2017, lumber prices were flat and it was boring, but it wasn't boring because we knew we're going to run out of wood up here, not run out of, but we're going to get a reduction of the wood here. What is that going to happen? Is that going to intersect with like an, uh, the, all these millennials coming into home buying age, which is what's happening right now? Is there going to be fires? Because if the, even though there's still a lot of timber that we can use, if there's a fire and there's all this dead, dry, I mean, lightning rods sticking up into the sky, right? Like it's pretty bad. So there's been a shift and it's kind of like, you don't really know what's going to happen, but you know that it's not the same as it was in the past. And then now we had the COVID thing where people can choose where they live, not based on where they work. And the um, sort of migration of the population is heading towards states that have low taxation. Okay, so it's like, Instead of going to California and trying to get into the housing market, people are moving to like Montana or Texas and states that have lower tax rate, um, which is changing the balance of what we used to understand as home building, right? Nobody looked at Idaho for where the housing starts before, right? So that, yeah, so that's kind of where we are right now. And it's, it's really fascinating. And I don't really know where it's going to turn out, but I was looking at my lumber prices today. And, you know, when we do the graph, comparing year over year, I'm finding it very, very interesting because the trend line of the price right now is meeting where the line, where the data point was two years ago. 
So, so when you're talking about like that 1700 and everything, that was last okay. year, right? So if you take out 2021 and you look 2020 to 2022, this year is looking like how the lines were at the end of 2020. So back to that like average trend line again kind of idea? Well, it was it was volatile, but not to the those extreme highs and lows. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we've been waiting to work out, right? Every time, like all of these incredible highs that people are screaming that it must be some kind of scam. Uh, every time it, after that, it goes up and down. It goes up by less and down by less. So it's the market is trying to find where is the balance. And the balance is not, you know, people are like, when are we going to go back to normal? We are never going to have $250 two by fours again. Because of, because of this, what I'm saying of the timber supply, the cost of production all across North America has changed completely from, you know, 2015. So where more input cost more yeah. like the logs cost more the fuel costs more the electricity costs yeah. more the labor costs more right. everything costs more yeah. so all the input costs is just yeah. basically going to force it to the point that it will never drop back down to that price That's again good. yeah i mean unless unless gas goes back down and labor i mean it's not things don't go down like they might stay low but they're not going to go down from where they are right so so where is the new level that's what everybody's asking and even back at the end of 2020, I was saying somewhere between 600 and 800. Mm-hmm. So, so where it used to be between 250 and 500. Right. Okay. And that's because the mills got smarter. There's uh, fewer uh, play because there's not these extra mills that can run, you know, millions of board feet a year, a week, whatever. Um, and so if the, uh, if the housing or the demand slows down to the point where people are not willing to pay that $500, the mills will go off the market and they will not, they will curtail and stop production. And that'll be the price. And you'll just have to go around and try to get your wood from different wholesalers and reloads and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and, and I put the cap on the top, like the 800, because that, that wildness of that 1600 I don't expect to ever see that. The thing that people should understand is that that was the price, but very little wood got sold during that time. Yeah. Right. Like when that price was 1600 for whatever it was, five or six weeks, some sales were made, but people held off and you could see like on my graph, once it started to go down, it went, and it went way down lower than it. Like I said, the, uh, the highs were super high and the lows were super low. And now it's coming to the point where we're starting to be able to see sort of like, where is that medium? And that gives um, a little bit more certainty where industry is able to make like these plans, like I'm talking about, you know, six weeks, uh, sorry, six quarters to figure out about their logging and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. See, that was something interesting that, um, cause I'm, you know, I'm from Oregon, so we have a lot of logging in our area. And um, when the mills were first kind of shutting down and curtailing, um, you know, back what, two, back in early 2020, um, a buddy of mine was like, man, there is a lot of wood on the ground up here. And, you know, I didn't think about that before. He says, we got to get it off the hill. And like, I thought, oh man, well, the mills aren't running. Where do you go with this wood? You know? And that was at the same time. Well, shortly after, before that we had the, uh, the trade wars kicking in. So China was like, you know, 
kind of gave us the finger on logs. And so there was like a, like a glut of logs that were around and people were screaming then, how come the loggers aren't getting their price for the wood when lumber is so expensive? But that was probably the reason right there is that there was a lot of wood sitting on the ground and there wasn't a lot of export going out. Um, you know, something that I hear a lot of people wanting to know a little bit more about, maybe we can discuss this, is the duties, is the the tariffs that are put on lumber. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that is, that affects things? Well, it's a political thing, and um, a lot of my colleagues don't want to talk about it. When I first started at Madison's in 2003, there was like a, a culture of don't talk about the duty. You might <laughs> say something that that is unpopular and you're going to make the Americans even more angry. Like, like I said, 85% at that time, 85% of Canadians went, went to the U S right. so like the, it was, it was big brother, like not big brother, but you know, yeah. the older, the older sibling, like kind of, and so it did start as a political, um, there was a fellow named Max Bacchus. I believe he was a Montana Senator, Senator, uh, and drove the um, sort of in in the grand scheme of things, the the idea is why should Canada have a sawmilling industry? It's our wood that we're using for our homes. We should just get the logs from Canada, and that's what they want. They want Canada to be a timber provider, and we can't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you know about Australia and New Zealand. New Zealand has timber. They have, um, they have beautiful radiata pine. Uh, it is legislated that New Zealand must export logs to Australia. And it's a big problem. Like if you have that, it's very dangerous for the forest. Like you need to have a timber management property, right? Just cutting down all the forest and then being like, oh, there's no trees. That's not going to help anyone, right? So the softwood lumber duty over the time we're in dispute number five right now every time the duty comes on it is at a higher rate and it's on a wider range of products so the previous 106 or whatever it was it included cedar it doesn't make sense you don't build homes out of cedar included boards and included a lot of stuff and it's higher it's like 20 percent, 25 percent. so this is making an impediment and this is raising the price because it's a fee that the Canadians must put at the border on the pro forma invoice when they send their wood over. Wow. Are we going to?